This message comes from NPR sponsor Viore, a new perspective on performance apparel. Clothing designed with premium fabrics, built to move in, styled for life. For 20% off your first purchase, go to viore.com slash NPR. On today's State of Ukraine, can China serve as a broker for peace? Russia's President Vladimir Putin and China's leader Xi Jinping wrapped up two days of discussions in Moscow. While the two leaders talked about expanding trade and working together more closely, the backdrop was their strained ties with the West and the war in Ukraine. Before the summit, China had put forth a set of principles for potentially trying to end the conflict there. NPR's Mary Louise Kelly spoke to Moscow correspondent Charles Maines and China correspondent John Ruich about the meeting of the two powers. China's been styling itself as sort of a peacemaker, or at least a party that could help resolve, help solve the Ukraine crisis. It put forward this 12-point position paper, which were broad principles. There's also talk of Xi Jinping having a discussion with uh, Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky after this Moscow visit. You know, Putin and Xi Jinping had seven hours of talks over two days. They made statements at the end. And it has to be said that Xi's remarks on Ukraine were very bland. He repeated that China wants peace. He said he's looking forward to more discussions on the matter. They basically had nothing to announce. Yeah, you know, Putin came in acknowledging the Chinese plan, telling Xi in front of cameras that he had studied the Chinese proposals, he respected the ideas and was eager to discuss them. And yet it seemed like these talks ended with this peace initiative as vague and undefined as when they began. In a statement to the press, Putin said provisions of the Chinese peace plan could be taken as a basis uh, for settling the conflict in Ukraine whenever the West and Kiev were ready for it. But Putin added that Russia hadn't seen any evidence they were. So there's not a lot there, and perhaps it's not even surprising. Russia had made it clear it wants Ukraine to accept what Moscow calls the new geopolitical reality of its annexation of Ukrainian lands. Uh, Ukraine and its Western allies see the progress Ukrainian forces have made liberating territory from Russia and say, you know, why stop now? And there's a sense that she might have been able to force Putin to accept some sort of ceasefire or peace deal, but that clearly just wasn't the case. Okay, so sounds like uh, very little progress on Ukraine, alas. Charles, did they agree on anything? Any any major headlines here? Yeah, you know, fundamentally, this seemed to be about showing that China and Russia were united in grievance. You know, they both feel the West is trying to hold them down, and they're making common cause of it. The two sides signed this massive joint statement aimed at deepening the Russian-Chinese relationship for a, quote, new era, uh, while insisting it wasn't a military political bloc. Uh, in a dig at NATO, they said that that idea was an outmoded concept from the Cold War. And yet there were also a lot of agreements focusing on the economy, with Russia offering to provide, for example, gas, oil, and energy for China's economy. Also important to note what wasn't in the mix, uh, no public mention anyway of Chinese arms sales to Russia, although Putin advisor said it was discussed uh, without elaborating. That's interesting. So Russia promising energy investments in China. We're not hearing Chinese arms sales to Russia. John Ruich, this sounds like a pretty good deal from China's perspective. Yes, it does. You know, more oil and gas from Russia is a good thing. The price is low now, given the way the Ukraine war has changed the market for Russian energy. Uh, there was a pledge to deepen coordination and resilience of production and supply chains. That's something China's uh, focused on. It's good for China. It helps diversify away from the West. Maria Repnikova is an expert in Chinese and Russian politics at Georgia State University, and she says China did well. Well, I think she got more out of it than Putin. Basically, China getting a better economic deal out of Russia at this point because Russia has so few allies left 
More broadly, you know, as Charles points out, this meeting signaled pretty strongly that they're on the same page with regard to the West um, and that they've got each other's back. But I wonder, is the trade-off that they've got each other's back, but with every inch that China sidles closer to Russia, does that move it towards worse relations with the West? It probably does. Um, If there had been progress toward bringing the war in Ukraine to an end, that might have been a saving grace. It might have made the trip more palatable to many in the West. You know, Putin was just accused of war crimes uh, and there was an arrest warrant issued for him by the International Criminal Court. Uh, U.S. Secretary of State Blinken said Xi Jinping's visit was effectively giving diplomatic cover to the Russian leader for that. And the U.S., of course, still suspects China is considering providing lethal assistance to Russia in the war in Ukraine, which is a proverbial red line, right? China doesn't seem to care at this point. You know, Xi Jinping has said that the West, led by the U.S., is bent on encircling and suppressing China. And Beijing suspects the same is happening with Ukraine, uh, that they're using the war to weaken Putin, uh, which would be bad for China from Xi's perspective. Charles, what about from Putin's point of view? It strikes me that Putin doesn't have very many powerful friends right now in the world. How much does he need President Xi? How much does Russia need China? Badly. And in that regard, this was a win for Putin the moment she stepped off the plane. I mean, here's Putin isolated with a warrant out for his arrest. And yet within a few days, he's sitting with Xi, who calls him a dear friend and compliments his leadership of Russia. But make no mistake, you know, Putin is the junior partner in the relationship. Russia is under Western sanctions. It desperately needs Chinese investment and trade to keep its economy afloat. And in fact, Putin was at times a bit over the top in his flattery of Xi, telling him, for example, he was a little envious of China's economic success. And that kind of gets to a criticism you hear here in Moscow, uh, that in binding Russia's future so closely to China, uh, Putin is in danger of losing control of Russia's own destiny. Stakes are so high here. John Ruich, you get the last word. What about um, President Xi? Now in his third term as the leader of China, what did we learn about him on this visit? She is stronger than ever, right? And he remains defiant. I think that was a message from this visit. You know, many believe that there had been signs a few months ago, perhaps a softer tone out of Beijing or some flexibility in China's approach to the West, maybe a willingness to cool the temperature, right, to get China's economy back on track. But with the spy balloon incident and now this trip to Moscow, it does seem that that has evaporated. That is NPR's John Ruich and Charles Maines. Thanks to you both. You're welcome. welcome. Thanks for listening to the State of Ukraine from NPR News. Please come back for more on the war and its impacts around the world. This message comes from NPR sponsor Mint Mobile. From the gas pump to the grocery store, inflation is everywhere. So Mint Mobile is offering premium wireless starting at just $15 a month. To get your new phone plan for just $15, go to mintmobile.com switch. This message comes from NPR sponsor, the NPR Wine Club. Get the world of wine delivered to your door. When you join the NPR Wine Club, you'll receive the stories behind every bottle and favorite NPR shows and personalities arriving in liquid form, like Weekend Edition Cabernet and Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me Zinfandel. The NPR Wine Club is a delicious way to support NPR's programming. If you're 21 or older, uncork a special offer at nprwineclub.org podcast. This election season, you can expect to hear a lot of news, some of it meaningful, much of it not. Give the Up First podcast 15 minutes, sometimes a little less, and we'll help you sort it out what's going on around the world and at home. Three stories, 15 minutes, Up First every day. Listen every morning, wherever you get your podcasts.